Well, good morning once again. My name is Alan. Uh, very good to be with you here. Before I jump into my message, I want to give you an update in terms of what's going on around here with regard to COVID-19. We have learned over the past six weeks of our experience of social distancing and trying to give you enough space here so that we're safe. As we get to gather here in this space, we've learned over the past number of weeks that we actually don't need all three services in order to accommodate the people who have been regularly coming here into this room. So starting next Sunday, we are going to back down to two services and they are going to be at the same times that we used to have in the old building way back when. So our two services starting next Sunday are going to be 9 and 10.30. Can I hear you say 9 and 10.30? Yay, okay. So again, this starts next Sunday. The good news is that we will have children's ministry available at both services starting next Sunday. That's good. If you have questions about children's ministry, about youth ministry and what's happening at each of the different services. If you're serving somewhere and you want to make sure that you are going to be at the proper service that you're expected at, etc., if you would please just reach out to the, to the leader or the person that you're reporting to, responsible to, that would be fantastic. If you have any other questions, you can go to our website. Feel free to contact us, email us. We'd love to help you to make sure we're all set up to celebrate uh, next Sunday at 9 and 10.30. We look forward to seeing you then. Now, last week, I started a new series called We Didn't Start the Fire. And as I said last week, this is a journey on uh, five weeks looking at church history. Um, uh, you know, what, what better party is there than five weeks talking about church history? And so uh, the idea behind this series, behind the concept of We Didn't Start the Fire, is... Uh, can be enforced by some words that Paul wrote to Timothy uh, 2,000 years ago. He said, Timothy, fan the flame. Fan the flame. See, because the reality is Paul didn't start the fire, the fire that is the, the gospel of Jesus. Paul didn't start that fire. Timothy didn't start that fire. Jesus started that fire. Jesus, through his teachings, through his his message through his miracles, through dying on the cross, he started a fire and it's been our responsibility over the last 2,000 years to keep that fire going. Last week, we looked at the first few hundred years after the story we find in the New Testament. And uh, we looked at the courage and the brilliance of these people who had to figure out, okay, what does it mean that the Father is God and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God and yet they are all one? What does that mean? How they had to kind of figure this out and work on what the Trinity is all about, etc. This is important because our beliefs shape our actions. I don't know about you, but I found myself found myself a number of times this week when I would when I would get in. Uh, in a difficult situation, when I would have a conflict with somebody, when I, I didn't know how to proceed, I found myself this week asking, uh, okay, what do I believe in this scenario? What do I believe about this person that I'm in conflict with? What, I be, what do I believe about God's role and his power here in this situation? Because what I believe shapes my actions. Now, this week, we are jumping to the, uh, to the 
the second section, and it's a big section. It's actually 1,100 years from 400 to 1,500. Of the 2,000 years, this morning we're looking at 1,100 years. It's a period uh, in human history often referred to as the Dark Ages. And in terms of lighting the fire or keeping the fire going, the fire almost went out in the dark ages. This was a difficult uh, uh, time for humanity, and it was a difficult time for Christianity. And uh, uh, it it almost went out, but it did not. And so we're going to take a look at that here today. Last week, we looked at verse 1 of our rewrite of Billy Joel's 1986 song, We Didn't Start the Fire. So now I'm going to torture you with verse 2. And so see if you can recognize some of the words from this period of time, 400 through 1500. And maybe there's some up there that you want to look into a little bit more on your own. But here's verse 2. Okay, that's verse two, <laughs> and just uh, just only three more to go. That's it. Only three more to go as we continue uh, here in this series. Now, again, today we're making the transition into this period, 400 through 1500. Uh, around the year uh, 400, uh, by, by this time, the center of the Christian movement of the Christian church had moved from the city of Jerusalem to what city? Rome. Rome. It moved to Rome. That's why we refer to it as the Roman Catholic Church. As I talked about last week, the, the uh, Roman Empire, the emperor, had actually become a follower of Jesus. And so he, he legalized Christianity, saying that people could follow uh, Christ, and they wouldn't be killed anymore. And so the whole thing actually made a shift to Rome. And the fascinating part of that is that, that people started to, they didn't even care about Jerusalem. They didn't even care about Jerusalem. The Jewish people weren't in Jerusalem anymore. They had been kicked out for the past few hundred years by the Romans. The Jewish people had been kicked out by something called the diaspora. They were kicked out of there and sent uh, uh, around to other parts of the world. So here we have the Holy Land, Jerusalem, the most sacred piece of dirt on the planet, a piece of dirt that has been fought for for, for centuries and centuries. This this area where, the, where Solomon's temple was built, this area where, where that temple came down and a new temple was built, and it's that same temple that, that Jesus came as a young boy and, and prayed and learned from the other rabbis. And then when he became older, Jesus came in and flipped over the tables in around that temple. And this was the place where Jesus came riding in on a donkey. And it is said that this is when the end of the world happens. It's going to happen at that piece of dirt. All of that stuff was at that same piece of dirt. And right now in human history, nobody cared. 
In fact, around this time, it became so such useless land, it was used as a dump site in Jerusalem. Nobody wanted it. Nobody cared about it. The holy land was used as a dump site. In the 7th century, there was a group of people southeast of there in what is modern-day Saudi Arabia, and they were known as the Arabians. And they were in dire straits. They were in a difficult, difficult spot. And there was a man named Muhammad who came and and lifted them up and, and led them not only in spiritual leadership but also in military leadership. And they, be, they became strong and powerful, and they started to follow Allah, and, and they were committed to this. This was this developing religion known as Islam, the Muslims. And they were growing and getting more powerful, and they were expanding uh, up to the north and to the west, and they ended up taking Jerusalem. And they took the holy city, and they actually built a mosque, a Muslim mosque, on the, uh, the, the Temple Mount that I had just been referring to. It's, a, it's an eight-sided building with a dome on top that is still there today. It was built in the seventh century. The Muslims had built this mosque over there. And everyone was happy with this. Seventh century, eighth century, ninth century, 10th century, 400 years. No one really cared. Everything was fine. Until the Pope, around 1100, decided that, hey, you know what, that Jerusalem place, that's pretty significant for us as Christians, isn't it? (laughs) That's where Jesus died, and that's that's where the the whole story happened. So don't you think we should be there? Don't you think we should own it? And so he gathered a group of Christian soldiers, and under promise of earthly benefits and eternal benefits, thousands of Christian soldiers from Europe went down to Jerusalem slaughtered Muslims and took over the city. Slaughtered, just killed them and and went over and took over the city. This was the beginning of a 200-year battle back and forth between Christians and Muslims referred to as the Crusades. Christians initially went down and took over Jerusalem because now they care about the city. And then the Muslims, uh, less than a century after that, gathered again and went back and said, no, we want it back. And so they took it and they slaughtered Christians and took over Jerusalem. Then over 200 years, it went back and forth and back and forth. Just a slaughtering back and forth. And essentially it was Christians at that point saying, I'm right and you're wrong. And so I will use whatever human power I have access to in order to enforce my beliefs in order to enforce my will, my wishes. The motto for the Crusades was, kill them all and let God sort it out. That was the motto of the Crusades. Like I said last week, this is our story. These are our people. And so it is important for us to look back and say, how is it possible? How is it possible that they strayed so far from the revolution of love that Jesus started? How is it possible that these followers of Jesus turned into this and became crusaders slaughtering Muslims in order to take over Jerusalem? Back and forth, back and forth. Now, I want to come back to that question. How is it possible that they drifted so far? I want to come back to that. 
But before I do, since we're talking about church history, I do just want to address where Islam fits into the overall story as, as a religion. Um, most would say and, and acknowledge that there are five major world religions. When I say major, these are five international um, uh, faith systems that have been around for centuries. And from these five major religions, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, and Christianity, there are many, many, many thousands of different offshoots and breakouts and, and all of that throughout the whole thing. But it can be broken down to five major religions. The two on the right, Buddhism and Hinduism, are polytheistic, which means that they believe that there are multiple gods, many, many different gods. Hinduism is older. Hinduism uh, started in India, and Buddhism came later on, but it also started in India. They flowed from one another, and they are referred to as the Eastern religions. Again, they believe in, in multiple gods. On the left side, we have the three um, monotheistic religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. They're monotheistic, means, meaning that they believe there is one God, not multiple gods. And here's what's really important about these three religions, these three faith systems. They are related. It is, it's understandable for many of us to think that they're, they're, they're three or perhaps two different complete stories, but they are related. In other words, it's not like talking about Star Wars versus Star Trek versus Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, three completely different waves of stories. That's not what's happening here. It's really, more accurately, it's more like talking about a new hope versus Empire Strikes Back versus Return of the Jedi. And so these three stories are related, and it all starts with Judaism. Judaism is, is what we view as our Old Testament story. It's the Jewish faith, the Jewish story. As I talked about last week, centers on the idea from Deuteronomy 6.5 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In a world that embraced many different gods, it was, it was the Jewish stories that said, Nope, there is one God, one creator. And this is a, such a big deal. This, this means that the world has order because there is one God, creator of all things. It's not chaotic so many other faith systems that have multiple gods have gods battling against each other and using humans as a part of those relationships and God have relationships with one another and they have children and the whole thing. It's just kind of a chaotic whole existence. Whereas, whereas the one creator God comes in through Judaism and says there is one God, creator of all. And then Christianity is built on top of the Jewish faith. It's important to remember that Jesus and all 12 disciples were Jewish. Jesus did not come to start something that was separate from the Jewish faith. Jesus came and built on the Jewish faith. He's referred to as the fulfillment of the law. Jesus was all that the Jewish faith was longing for, hoping for, and all the promises from the Jewish faith. Christianity was built on Judaism. And what you may or may not know is that Islam was built on top of that story. So in the Muslim faith, 
They believe in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob from our Old Testament. They believe in Jesus as a prophet. But they add on, and this is essential to the Muslim faith, they add on Muhammad as, as they add on the Muhammad story. And so in, in the book of Quran, it says that it is the full and final revelation of God. That we have the Jewish story, the Christian story is built onto that. They have a different understanding of who Jesus is, but then the Islam story is built on top of the Christian story. These three are related. And so it's really not, if you have Muslim friends or Jewish friends or people that you know of or um, whatever, it's really not I'm right and you're wrong. It's really not that. It's more of a sense of what story do you believe in? What, what do you believe is the, is the real true story? We talk about realize your role in God's story. What that means is that we have an understanding of what that story is. What story do you believe is the story of humanity, the story of life? I believe in Jesus. I believe that the whole story is about Jesus. I believe Jesus is the subject of the whole story, that Jesus is the one that the, Jew, that the Jewish story was leaning towards. He's the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about would one day come. And Jesus is the final revelation. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. There is no other prophet or being or writing or book that has to follow and complete the story. Jesus completes the story. It is all fulfilled in Jesus. So the question again is, it's not about, uh, you know, who's right, who's wrong. The question is, what story do you believe is real? What story is the, is the actual story of human existence? But these three faith systems are related. Okay. You still with me? Okay. Let me jump back to the dark ages. Okay. There's a second major event that happened in this period between 400 and 1500 that was, that was just as horrendous, just as awful as the Crusades were in the, in the 11th and 12th century. There was a second major event as a part of these dark ages. And it's referred to as the Inquisitions. So what happened was the Christian church was expanding into Europe. And it was going into many different countries, many different territories, that was interacting with people of different faiths. And so it was very difficult for them to kind of make sure they were on the same page. They, of course, did not have the internet. They didn't even have the printing press. So it was very difficult to make sure everyone in this expanding journey into Europe was, was together. And so the Pope had an idea at that time. The Pope had, was more than just a spiritual leader. The Pope had tremendous political power. And the Pope issued an official document that said to, to, to Christian leaders that they were allowed to use force and even torture to make sure these people who were not Christians would confess Jesus as Lord. So th these were the inquisitions, and they did not just happen in Spain. They happened in, in multiple areas. And it was basically this idea of saying, okay, we're, we're going to force you to believe what is right and, the, and the, what is correct. So the idea is that it's better for you to suffer now 
and experience peace in eternity than experience peace now and suffer in eternity. It's almost like the logic of Thanos from the Avengers story. It's some, some, uh, you know, it's some belief that I know what's best for you, that you might see this as evil, but I'm doing this for your own good. And so men and women and elderly and children were tortured until they confessed Jesus as Lord. Thousands died as a result of these tortures. It was just ludicrous. And the Pope who initiated and gave that official document that said it was, it was sanctioned, it was okay for Christian leaders to do this, his name was Pope Innocent IV. I didn't make that part up. But once again, we have Christians, followers of Jesus, saying, I'm right and you're wrong. And I will use power to enforce my beliefs on you. How is it possible? How is it possible that this is our story, these are our people, that they drifted so far from the revolution of love that Jesus started? How is it possible? I mean, we hear this stuff, we read about it, you've, you've watched Monty Python or, or, you know, or History of the World or whatever your thing is, you've read, you're familiar with the Crusades, with the Inquisitions, and we just think, how is it possible that this stuff happened? It just seems absolutely ridiculous, so far from our own experience. But have you ever believed in something so deeply that you actually developed anger and even hatred toward people who believed in something that you thought was wrong? I was trying to think if, if there's something in the American story, something perhaps even in the past week, that would relate to this idea of I'm right and you're wrong and tremendous anger and hatred across the way. I'm thinking and thinking and I'm having a hard time. I know that many of you have very deeply strong political views. I know I've talked with you and I'm afraid of many of you, frankly. And so I know that there are men, there are, and we have different, we land in different places, et cetera. And you have done your research. You, you're not just swayed by social media or by what the celebrities say or whatever. You have done your reading. You've done your research. You believe very deeply in what you believe in terms of what is right for this country that you love so much. And sometimes it actually takes us to the place of saying, I'm right, and those people, wherever they are, to the right or to the left, those people are wrong and foolish and undeserving of my respect or my ear. Or worse, we say, I'm right, and those people are sinful. They are ungodly. And they deserve the full vengeance of the Lord for what they have done, what they have said, how they have voted, whatever. 
Is it possible to believe so deeply in something? Is it possible for you to believe so deeply in something? It actually stirs up anger and hatred toward people who believe something that you think is wrong. How could we have drifted so far from the revolution of love that Jesus started? This, this is so critical for us to remember, for us to understand. It, it's not a revolution of power that Jesus started. It's not a revolution of conquering. It's not a revolution of rightness. It's a revolution of love. And there is no disputing that that's what Jesus came for. He summarized the Judaism story. He summarized the Old Testament. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole thing is about love. And John, one of his disciples, he quotes Jesus in, in John chapter 13, verse 34. He quotes Jesus saying, a new command I give you. This is important because it's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, this would be great if you considered this. A new command. And, and yes, love has been a part of the story from the very beginning, but Jesus is, is taking it up a notch here. This is a new command that I want to give you all. Jesus' words, love one another. As I have loved you, which is the, 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 the pinnacle of love, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the mark. This is what will show the world whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. John's the one who heard this and wrote this down. And later on, John had, had his own letter to write, 1 John chapter 4. John writes, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In other words, you can't hate your brother and sister, a fellow human being, and say, I love God. You can't do both of those things. Those two things cannot coexist. You, you cannot say, we are going to take Jerusalem and we'll kill as many Muslims as we have to in order to take Jerusalem. And I am a follower of Jesus. You can't say those two things. You can't say, we are going to torture men, women, elderly, and children so that they could confess Jesus as Lord, and I'm a follower of Jesus. You can't say those two things. You can't say, I, I am angry, so angry that I, I hate you because of what you believe, and I'm a follower of Jesus. We can't, those two things cannot coexist. When we do this stuff, when we judge, when we hate, when we point fingers, we're putting the fire out. We're not fanning the flame. We are putting the fire out. This week I got an email from someone in response to last week's message. Again, I was talking about beliefs, that our beliefs shape our actions. And um, this guy emailed me and said, I grew up in the church, and I, growing up, learned all of the facts and all the stories and all the information and all the theology that was 
that was aligned with Scripture. I learned, learned it all and, you know, did my confirmation and did my whole process, got it all. He said, but it didn't make sense to me until I was in my late teens. And I was, I was doing a job. I was working somewhere. And this, this woman who was there demonstrated to me through her life that all of this, that all that really matters is that we are transformed on the inside by the Holy Spirit, that we have a, a change of heart so that we can love other people. And that's when it, when it dawned on this person. That all of the beliefs, all of our, of our facts and stories and theology and all that, none of that stuff matters unless we are loving people. It doesn't matter how many church services you go to. It doesn't matter how many years you've been in church. It doesn't matter what groups you're leading, what, what, in what ways, how, how you're giving sacrificially to, to the work of the kingdom. All of that stuff means nothing if we haven't figured out that this whole thing is about loving other people. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that, 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 that there isn't a time to fight. There is a time to fight. There is a time for war and there's a time for peace. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it has to be rooted and grounded in love because that's, that's what Jesus came for. That's what the whole message is about. How can I love somebody today? As I'm making a decision, as I'm taking my, faiths, my faith into action, my beliefs to say, my beliefs shape my actions, are my actions showing up in a way that I'm loving people? Everything we do, everything we say, everything we fight for, everything we argue about, everything we accumulate, none of it matters if we're not loving people. The fire almost went out in the dark ages because they horrifically lost sight of all of this for centuries. But the light did not go out because there were people throughout these 1,100 years that hung on to the message, that kept the message going. There were monasteries that were gathering and just saying, the world has fallen apart. So there are people who would separate from the cities and go off, and they would form monasteries, and they would, they would gather, and they would continue to read and to write and to love and to pray and pray for the world and pray for the world. And they gathered, and it's, it's very possible, I believe, that we exist today and the light is still going because of these faithful men and women who were doing things on the side that kept the fire burning. It was an ember. It was just barely alive throughout this time. There's one man, a beloved man. Is actually, he showed up between the Crusades and the Inquisitions. His name was Francis of Assisi. And his most famous writing is how I want to wrap up today before we pray. He writes this almost a thousand years ago. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I might not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it's in giving that we receive. It's in pardoning that we are pardoned. It's in dying that we awaken to eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, as I have um, 
prepped for this message, thought about these centuries. It's, it's hard for me to imagine just how heartbreaking it was for you to watch your children do this stuff. To watch your followers, people that you love, doing this to others that you also love. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it was for you to watch that happen. And here we look back on it and we just think it just just sounds so ridiculous. It just sounds so far, so distant, so unbelievable. And yet, Father, sometimes I wonder if you look down on us and you see the same thing. Your children that you love, hating, angry against other children that you love. So, Father, would you show us, would you show us what it means to love people this week? Would you show us that, that our anger and our hatred, it doesn't help us, it doesn't help your kingdom, and it breaks your heart? Would you help us to love people this week? Would you help us to fan the flame? In the name of your loving son, we pray. Amen.